This is The Friendship File, where we flip open the blueprints behind some of the world's most important relationships, the ones we have with our friends. Two friends have each been sent the same set of questions. They've recorded their responses on their own and without consulting. Here is the combination of their answers. This time, Emma and Richard. I'm Emma. My name is Richard. I'm locked down in Suffolk. I live in I'm about to be 59. 58 years old. And I've known Richard I've known since, Emma. I think, about 1986. Since 1988. Describe the very first moment you remember seeing them. The first time I saw Emma was on telly. It was called The Six O'Clock Show on London Weekend Television. And I liked the look of her. And she had a way of interviewing that I rather liked. She would kind of sucker punch people by asking them a question in a very disarming sort of way. I first met him when we were both presenting on Night Network for ITV, which was the very first ever British TV programme to be broadcast after midnight. We first met actually on Night Network. And Richard was presenting... I can't remember what it was. I was recruited to become the film critic on that programme. An unmemorable strand on the same magazine programme. And I was presenting a bit called Pillow Talk, where I interviewed celebrities in a double bed in pyjamas. Very badly. And we immediately hit it off, actually. Emma likes a gay boy, I think it's fair to say. And gay boys like Emma. And what I most loved about him was that he was nice to me, which was a shock because I was working in quite a sort of snazzy, you know, 80s TV world. But I was as much of a basic middle-class white girl as you could possibly imagine. And most people who were cool thought I was completely pointless. But Richard didn't. First impression, it was her eyes, actually. She has the most beautiful eyes and extraordinary colour and luster and I was a bit bewitched by then. Nobody had ever shared that much with me before. Nobody had ever been as open and rude with me before and the stories from the pop world, he he held nothing back. There was no filter. Not because he was without filter but because I don't think he saw the point of filter. And she just made me laugh and she was really funny and she was obviously up for friendship and, uh, and we immediately hit it off. When did that click happen? The moment you thought, yeah, I like you. We had a lot of clicks, but my biggest click with him was when we were both in New York at the same time. He said, what you have to do is walk. And I said, no, 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 Richard, I don't like doing the walking. Let's do the taxi. And he went, no, you've got to do the walk when you're in New York. Emma was living in North London in Stoke Newington and I was living in Islington. So we were sort of neighbours on the 73 bus route, although Emma, I can't imagine ever getting a bus. We took the subway up to the top of New York, sort of Harlem, and we walked down to the bottom of New York, kind of financial district. I think it took five hours. There's an interesting contrast in Emma. She was sort of a bit of a hippie. She was living with Harvey Broff from Harvey and the Wallbangers. And yet there was also something quite sort of grand about her too. We held hands the entire way. And we never stopped talking, we never stopped looking. And that was, that was a really magical day. I don't mean in a sort of superior way, but she had a sort of, I don't know, there were dimensions to her life that didn't seem to fit in that milieu. And I was a bit fascinated by that. When you first met, what were your favourite things to do together? We were both endlessly fascinated by people and we did gossip furiously. So we were friends throughout those 
TV presenting days. We both really enjoyed it while we were both very aware of how sort of pointless and superficial the whole thing was. Also, I was sort of intrigued about what was happening in her life and she was intrigued about what was happening in mine. We like walking together. We like eating together. We like drinking together. We liked telling stories stories about other people together. She'd always liked pop star as well too and I was sort of just crashing and burning on my way out of pop stardom. And it's mean crashing and burning too and I think that must have provided rather a spectacle. And then he had a bit of a sort of meltdown and he reincarnated himself as someone training to be a priest. And it took my breath away. It was the thing I had least expected him to do. I knew he was religious but I did not... Um, see that one coming. Don't think anyone did. Don't think he did. We used to go to each other's houses. Well, I used to go to her house, actually. I remember she was a very good cook, always has been. And, of course, her father was a great gourmet. And I can remember her keeping recipes written down in a book in the kitchen in Stoke Newington. Our relationship changed at that point. He was extraordinary to talk to at that time. He was so ridiculously smart, and the smart side of his brain was very much at the front of his head because of the, what he was reading, what he was learning, what he was battling with, the philosophy he was looking into. Although he wasn't very happy in his skin. He was getting deeper by the day, but I think less happy by the day. And I remember one recipe which included the instruction, put in far more chopped parsley than you think is feasible. What are your nicknames for each other? Hmm, I don't know. He probably calls me Freudy or Freud or Emsy. And I just call him Richard. Or Dickie, Dickie Coles. He's Dickie. Well, she calls me Dick, and I would call her Eileen Food. I don't know why, but I did. What is their best quality? Oh, God, he has so many. Probably his cleverness. He's beyond clever. But what he isn't, he doesn't make you feel thick when you aren't as smart as him. He just makes you revel in the delight of it. Um, her best quality is... 100% reliability in a crisis. If things went really bad, I would without hesitation phone Emma and have indeed phoned Emma. And she has been unfailing uh, support, instantly getting it, never asking why, just um, providing with extraordinary generosity. Remember he once said to me, if you could choose to be beautiful and not clever or odd looking and smart, Definitely choose beautiful and not clever. Clever does not make you happy. He thought he was odd looking. I thought he was stunning. But he knew he was clever, but he was not happy. What else do I like about her? She's up for it. She's got this extraordinary energy and drive. She has unstoppable will too, or something, or because I don't have it myself. I remember once being with Emma in the car when we were driving into London. And we went to the NCP car park in Dean Street, I think. And when we got there, the bloke said, I'm sorry, we're full, but Emma just got out of the car and handed in the keys and left it to him to find somewhere to park. For some reason, he just yielded to her will. And I marvelled at that. Is there anything about them that has ever irritated you or frustrated you? Ooh, what a good question. Yes, he frustrated me madly when he was unhappy because it felt so insanely wrong that someone as wonderful as him would have the capacity to get as depressed as he did. Yes, she's a notorious one for cancelling. So um, sometimes you'll have something fixed up and arranged and then she will cancel at the last minute. I know a lot more about mental health now than I did 
in the times that he was really low, but I wish I could have been part of what made him feel better. I wish I could have helped him more. And she always uses this tone of voice, which suggests a matter of enormous urgency is behind that. But actually, I think she's probably just got a better offer. Mind you, a better offer to Emma would probably mean flying in someone's private plane to meet the Pope or something. So I've always let her off. I've never minded being cancelled for a, a better offer. And when it comes to crunch, she's unfailingly um, reliable and there. As you've watched them live their lives, when have you been most proud of them? Oh, when he was ordained... I was unbelievably proud of that. You know, it's one thing to be an internationally famous pop star and then a TV presenter and say, I'm going to train to be a priest and get all the kind of shrieks of surprise and delight that that caused in his friends. It's another thing to do the entire traineeship and come out the other end as the most wonderful priest and be given the most amazing parish. I think with Emma, it's her resilience. You might think being born into a famous family, being hitched to uh, a national treasure and being well off and prosperous and well provided for, all that would make her life easy. But of course, no life is actually easy when you look at it and Emma's had plenty to deal with in hers, which isn't. And I think it's been her reaction when she's really been in a corner that's most impressed me. Richard was the priest when my father was cremated and that meant a huge amount to me. I mean, a huge amount. To have a priest that you know and love and respect, one of those landmark moments in your life, that felt like coming full circle in some way. That was really beautiful. She is extraordinarily resilient and resourceful, and I admire that hugely about her. Do you remember there was a toy called Weebles, and the advert went, Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. And I've seen Emma wobble sometimes, but never to the point where she hasn't gone up again. I admire that about her very much. What's your best friendship story? So we went on holiday once to the south of France when I was going out with Richard Curtis, my current boyfriend. One of my favourite ones, (laughs) It's so awful, I'm so ashamed. We'd been going out together then for a few years and Richard thought it was time that we got married. It was when Emma was living with Harvey and Harvey was then singing in the Cambridge Singers, which was uh, a choir run by the composer John Russer, who's the composer of all the most popular Christmas carols composed in recent times. We had took a boat trip out from the villa that we were staying in and there were about, I don't know, eight of us or something. Harvey and the Cambridge Singers were singing at Carnegie Hall in New York, and it was Harvey's birthday. So Emma and I decided to fly over to New York to surprise him. And this was in my pop star days, and I'm afraid I'm obliged to tell you a story which is disreputable and shows me in a poor light, but there you go. And Richard performed a wedding ceremony for us, which was amazing. I mean, he wasn't ordained as a priest then, and we were all extremely drunk. So we arrived in New York, and I went to see a friend, and he provided me with um, something to make the evening go with a swing, if I can put it that way. I think it started very much as a joke, but then because he was a half-priest, I think, at that point. Is that what you call them? Like a priest puppy, like a baby priest, like like an under-priest, priest in training. It suddenly became more than just larking around on a boat pretending to get married. And while it wasn't getting married, it was definitely a beautiful spiritual moment, despite a lot of white wine. Went to the concert, Carnegie Hall, which was lovely. We surprised Harvey, which was lovely. 
New York is always lovely. And then there was a do afterwards. And I think, I think I may have offered John Rutter, the composer and conductor, class A at the end of that party in an absent-minded, drunken and off-my-face moment. And I'm very sorry if I did. Have you ever had a fight? I don't think so. Emma doesn't really do fights, or not that I've ever noticed. No, we haven't. I don't do fighting. I don't think he does either. She gets very into things. I remember she was very into MacBooks when they first came out, whatever they were called then, I can't remember. And I just got one too, and then she came around and showed me how to work it. And in showing me how to work it, she demonstrated its capabilities to the point where it practically crashed and I could never open it again. And I think I was a little tight-lipped about that, but no, I could never imagine having a fight. Give an example of your shared language. This isn't really an example of shared language. It's another best friendship story. When Richard and I had known each other for about five years, I became very close friends with Helen Fielding. If we do have one, it's not in words. We would look at each other and understand each other, I think. Both at the folly of human interaction, especially our own. And I think it was me that introduced her to Richard Coles, and they then got very close, and she then based the character of Tom in Bridget Jones's diary on Richard. And I would like to think that would never have happened without me. But more, I think, at understanding what's important, what matters to people, what life is about. We kind of get that, I think. And your friendships give birth to other friendships that exist outside you. That's really nice. Are they a good loser? I'd like to think she's an appalling loser. No, I don't think he's a good loser at all. I think he wants to be the absolute best as absolutely everything. And most of the time he is. But then so am I. When I was a kid, if I was doing badly Monopoly, I used to knock the board over and run out of the room screaming. I don't think any of that is by luck. It's all by design. He's competitive and he works very hard and he tries very hard and he, he gets there. Um, I wouldn't quite do that now. The impulse is still there. But I can't imagine Emma ever losing. What do you envy about them? She's very analytical, actually, and she can see in someone or in a situation or an organisation something that's lacking and work out what it is they need and provide it. And all of a sudden, you're in a different league. It's a game changer. What do I envy about them? Oh, I envy his piano playing. We both play piano. I'm, I'm a two and he's an 11. So that's awkward. I also buy her chutzpah which I think is extraordinary. And also her, she manages to feel things. So she can be vulnerable. I realise the person I've been talking about hasn't necessarily sound very vulnerable, but she can be vulnerable. Is there some part of their body that you think is superior? I think that's a no. And she lives a full life and allows for everything within it to come and she embraces it and copes with it and deals with it and I think that's wonderful about her. I mean it's a beautiful whole but it's a gloriously quirky collection of characteristics. What have they done in their lives that has surprised you? I remember when Emma's relationship with Harvey ended. I didn't see it coming at all but then I never do. And I looked, it was set fair. They were living in Stoke Newington, everything looked good. She seemed to be completely happy in that world, it seemed to suit her. But I realised that she just saw that the future was not going to be like that. And she simply had to acknowledge that and deal with it. 
and pay the price for it. And she did. And I remember thinking, oh, you've really got something special. The thing he's done that surprised me most is probably becoming ordained and sticking at it and being wonderful. And then I suppose in a way, because I was so much part of his life when he was not successful in love, that when he then became so incredibly successful in love with David, in a way that was just a beautiful surprise that he would find a husband and, you know, have many happy years. When would you say they're at their happiest? I think Emma's at her happiest when things work out for the good, when justice is restored to an unjust world, when people find within them generosity and kindness when it might not be there, when her family is happy, when her friends are all around. And um, after a very good dinner in the garden on a lovely day, roaring drunk. Oh, I think any time there's a dachshund in the room and some whiskey. If they were a food, what food would they be? Oh, wow, this is a great question for him. He would be something complicated, fragrant, that involved a lot of processes, was probably an all-day cook. I'm going to say he would be a slow-cooked shoulder of lamb done in Moroccan spices with a fragrant couscous and some edible flowers on top because he's slightly camp. Oh, well, Emma would be a feast. If they suddenly disappeared, what is the one unique thing the world would be short of? Well, the unique thing the world would be short of is Emma Freud, who is an adornment to the world, I think. He's had a complicated life. He has defied expectation. He has taken the path least travelled. She's funny. She's smart. She's energetic. She's come to my rescue more than once, and I'm very grateful for that. He has gathered around him an army of devotees who would cross the world for him if he needed them to. I certainly would. And I adore her. I think she's wonderful. I'd miss her terribly if she wasn't there. I mean, there's a lot of people like me. There is absolutely no one like Richard. Before anyone else heard the answers to the questions, the friends got a chance to listen to each other and to react. Oh my gosh, I love that. Well, that is fascinating. How interesting to hear your friendship redacted by the person opposite rather than yourself. If I'd known he was going to say that many nice things, then... I would have been nicer to him for the last 35 years. How generous Emma is about me, how kind uh, are the things she says about me, which I think are a wild overestimation in my opinion, but God, it's nice to hear. Providing support and being a reliable friend, that is literally everything I would like to be said at my funeral. Though maybe also spending 30 years working for Comic Relief, which Richard completely forgot about. And she said that she wished she could have helped me more, but actually she helped me enormously, not just through what she did, but simply through being a very steady presence in chaotic circumstances. And Weebles Wobble But They Don't Fall Down is what I would like on my gravestone, please. I mean, she's got me exactly right, even when transcribing me as a meal. I do like the idea of this slow-cooked shoulder of lamb with fragrant couscous and camp flowers. Very good. The story about me in the NTP car park on Dean Street... Richard said it as though it was a compliment. It's clearly the rudest thing anyone has ever done in a car park. I am horrified. I have changed. 
Honestly, I have. I do remember the trip to New York, but mostly because of my appalling behaviour after the concert in Carnegie Hall. Whereas what Emma remembers and reminds me of is that lovely walk. I think we walked the length of the Bowery. He offered the legendary classical composer John Rutter Class A drugs. That's about as bad as giving your car keys to the NCP attendant. We're level. Disappointed she doesn't remember I called her Eileen Food. But Eileen Food? I had forgotten that's what he always called me. I wonder why I'd forgotten, probably because it is such a horrible name. I'm glad she has positive memories of Dachshunds, because hearing that reminded me of when I went round to her house with my Dachshund at the time, Foggy. And I found out later, I don't think she knows this, but it came back to me via somebody else that Foggy had done an enormous dump, I think, in her bedroom. I love that I broke his computer through over-enthusiasm. I'm really thrilled about that. I had forgotten that trip on the boat when we were in the south of France, but actually it was a wonderful afternoon and I'm so glad to be reminded of it. And how typical of Emma that what she remembers is something which is about the touching engagement of people for each other. I haven't heard anyone talk about me for that long, ever. It was really, really lovely. At the end of it, I think I'm so lucky, so fortunate, and I'm so grateful for her friendship. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Friendship File. Search for us wherever you get your podcasts, and there are lots of other files to listen to. Please leave us a review and a star rating so that more people can find us, and visit our website, thefriendshipfile.com. The music for The Friendship File is composed by James Lancaster, one half of Watgring, and you can find them, including their new album, on Spotify and Apple Music. The Friendship File is a podcast production. Till the next time, goodbye. <laughs>